So, you know, today is our second teaching during this Advent series leading to the celebration of the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And um, to be honest with you, I'm actually surprised that of all the incredible stories about Jesus, including included in John's gospel, that I've been strangely led to focus in on his proclamation that he is the good shepherd. This was one way that Jesus emphasized the importance of his coming to be here with us, with his people. And so I believe that God wanted to do something in my heart as I prepared for today and perhaps in yours as well as we seek him, you know, together in his word. Um, Yeah, there we go. So uh, we're all aware that Jesus's audience could relate far better than we can today to this illustration of, uh, of a shepherd given that shepherding was far more common of a profession than it is now in modern-day America. In fact, in 2007, there was an estimated, estimated to only be 1,500 shepherds in the entire United States. So just to send that point home. So the audience that Jesus was speaking to does have a leg up on us in regards to basic familiarity with this profession, but they also have us beat in another regard. They're far more familiar with the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, than we are, at least than I I was in preparing for this. Um, You know, which is why if you're like me, I've glossed over some of the ways Jesus is doing more here when he uses shepherding imagery than just telling us that he can take care of us and protect us as shepherds do. Jesus is actually going way beyond this and uses this shepherd title as a bold proclamation that he is the chosen one who God sent to fulfill his promise of hope and restoration for his people. And so to develop or reshape our understanding of the shepherd image, I'll be referring to a lot of scripture this morning, this afternoon. So fair warning. Um, I'll have some on the screen, but we'll just be, you know, reading a lot. Um, we'll first see that John uses this image in John chapter 10 to illustrate that the leaders over the Jewish people have chosen to reject him as that promised one. We'll then turn to Ezekiel 34, which much of the language that Jesus uses in John 10 is echoing back to in our Old Testament. God promised through the prophet Ezekiel that after God's people were to be exiled due to their rebellion, he would not leave them scattered among the nations. He would send his chosen one to gather God's people together again. And finally, we'll look at how Jesus chose what I find a very creative and also intimate way. We had a conversation at our last DNA group about intimacy. So I'll leave it there. Um, (laughs) So he uses a particular way to fulfill this prophecy while he was with us on earth. So before we go on that journey, we should get our bearings, starting with the first chapter of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. From the very beginning, John tells us he believes Jesus to be 100% God. Jesus is said here to be the word and the light that was there as the cosmos was breathed into existence. 
And just last week, we wrestled with Ben, the other Ben that's not here. Where is he? He's not here. Kids. Yeah. So the other Ben about John's massive claim in these verses that Jesus is the light and that that light was God. And if that is to be believed, we have a God who is with us in the darkest places we and those around us experience. And that darkness will not overcome this light. God is with us. And turning now to the next set of verses for our Advent series, we read, we start in verse 9 in John chapter 1, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And as we see in the um, next verses, chapter 14, which Scott will teach on next week, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So John goes on to present Jesus as a man, saying that he came into the world that he created. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see examples of this throughout John's gospel. As Jesus is carrying out his mission, he does so intimately with his people, sharing in our humanity, experiencing the depth and range of human emotions of joy, compassion, frustration, grief, and deep suffering. And I want to say thank you to my DNA group again, beyond the intimacy conversation, for exploring these stories with us. We talked a lot about Jesus as a human, um, many stories we could use. So the basis for our exploration today on Jesus is, is as the good shepherd. It sits between the verses we read here, or it's based on the jumping off point, if you will, in verse 10, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John is setting the stage in this first chapter that Jesus was the one man his people had been waiting for ever since the first humans failed in the Garden of Eden and who God's chosen people specifically were waiting for, the promised one who would finally crush the head of the serpent, the Messiah who would come from the line of David, and a prophet greater than Moses. And what I'd like to explore in these verses today is how Jesus revealed this, who he was and what that meant for those who would and would not, as John put it, receive him. John tells us here that Jesus came to his own people and they did not receive him. So let's explore one of those confrontations that illustrates this rejection clearly. So I'll take you to John 10. In verse 23, Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade, colonnade, I didn't really look up how to say that word, colonnade, of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And it says here, so the Jews, other, other translations say the Jewish leaders gathered around him and asked this of him. If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, I made this clear. And you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. Here we see Jesus provides a clear response about his identity to the Jewish leaders. Or the Jewish leaders, <laughs> yeah, there we go, thanks. The Jewish leaders who represent God's people and that he is the one who they must see as the chosen one, the Christ. John is showing us that the Jewish leaders, Jesus' own people, as John 1 put it, 
as yeah, John chapter one put it, are choosing not to receive him. And what does Jesus say is the reason that they won't receive him? So John 10, 26 says, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus as the good shepherd here is here to be with and gather together his flock, those that listen to his voice, follow him and who Jesus knows. And these leaders are not his sheep. Earlier in the chapter, we find where Jesus first uses this shepherd imagery back in verse 11 of chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them. These are the wild animals, wild beasts we'll get to in a moment. But the wolf comes and snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus is stressing here that his sheep are vulnerable, abandoned by the hired hands, left to be attacked by wolves and the sheep are scattered. He also emphasizes one other thing about his role as the shepherd in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This statement by Jesus should bring joy to all of us here today. He's implying here the expansion of the family of God to include the Gentiles Presented in John 10, we see that the leaders have been clearly told that the family of God will be made up of those who follow the one real shepherd. And that flock will include sheep from other flocks also. Praise God. Jesus' mission, he says, is to gather these sheep who are scattered and who need a good shepherd. I mentioned before that I didn't realize the benefit of Jesus and John using this label of a shepherd, but I felt unexpectedly led to share with you where this image comes from so you can experience with me how this man Jesus was not just like a shepherd in his compassion and care for people, but he was the shepherd these lost sheep in his day needed and that we still need today. So let's turn to Ezekiel 34. Now, as this chapter of prophecy in the Hebrew Bible parallels the words Jesus is emphasizing as he speaks with the Jewish leaders in chapter 10 of John. This chapter occurs at a crucial point in the design of the book of Ezekiel. Up until this chapter, there's condemnation of Israel's idolatry and injustice. Yet this chapter begins a turning point where God begins to reveal his promise of hope for God's people of a promised king and restoration to come after their exile. I'm putting on the screen some relevant points from here, but I think we should probably read it. So, so Ezekiel 34, verse 1. 
the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, which is a common reference for Jesus uses throughout the book of John. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, and they wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and they have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths and they may not be food for them. So here we have the woe to the shepherds of Israel. These are the leaders who viewed themselves as the shepherds for God's people. And this prophecy begins by calling them out in many ways that we saw Jesus describing the hired hands in John's gospel who run when the wolves come. And here's the result. My sheep were scattered. What follows the condemnation for these supposed shepherds of Israel is a prophecy that the real shepherd would come, a promise of the work of that true shepherd. And what will the shepherd do? In verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, When he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and dark, thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat. And the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And just a little further, 
in Ezekiel 34, we see a very familiar phrase from chapter 10 of John's gospel. Just to help you recall it, it said, I have other sheep that do not come from this sheepfold. I must bring them too, and they will listen to my voice. So that what? That there will be one flock, one shepherd. Ezekiel 34, 23 says, I will rescue my flock and they will no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince or the king among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Jesus is saying by using this parallel that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy meant for the future promised prince or king from David's line. So these parallels were fascinating to me and add so much depth now to what Jesus was communicating to these Jewish leaders as they were refusing to receive him. Jesus used the image of the good shepherd to indicate that he was the one the scriptures prophesied about who would reconstruct the family of God who had been scattered among the nations in exile and was also inviting any from these nations who would receive him, Jews and non-Jews, to follow him. Those who did this and do today, as we will see, are given the incredible right to become God's children and participate in the blessings promised later in the chapter of Ezekiel. I mentioned earlier that Jesus didn't just use the shepherd imagery to pronounce his coming. John also shows him creatively exercising his, his, uh, his role as a shepherd. Um, he shows Jesus among his people acting the role of the shepherd from these passages. So Jesus went beyond just using this title as an illustration or, or, or analogy. John shows us in chapter 6 that this man, Jesus, was gathering together his sheep who were scattered walking among them, fed them, healed them, and revealed himself to be the promised good shepherd. And I've listed out some of the relevant parallels with Ezekiel here as we read John 6. All right, so after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And as a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that, we may, so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to, to, for each of them to even get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. In the translation that I use, there's parentheses around this next part saying that it was a, a now there was 
much grass in that place, which is kind of a, a weird thing to say, considering at least John is helping you know that these people are comfortable as they're sitting. But I think John's emphasizing that this was a pasture. This is, this is the grassy place for his sheep to feed. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he, Jesus, distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So in this miracle of feeding the 5,000, John records Jesus as not just amazingly providing a meal for his people who are hungry. He reveals himself to be this good shepherd among and with his people. And at the end of this miracle, to bring home the point that these people knew what Jesus was doing here, John records that the people said, this is certainly the prophet who has come into the world. Recall John 1, 9, the light was coming into the world. And Jesus had to flee because he knew the people would, quote, seize him by force and make him king. This is the king from the line of David who is bringing an everlasting kingdom. So here Jesus, as the good shepherd, fed his flock. And what, was an, what, what an amazing experience that that must have been for those who witnessed it. But also for us who are invited to be a part of this flock as well. Those who believe, as John puts it in the opening chapter, have the right to become the children of God. So that begs the question, what is in store for the sheep, God's children, who would follow this shepherd if this prophecy is to be believed? So back in Ezekiel, we see this. Starting in verse 25. It says, I will make them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them, they shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I and the Lord, their God, with them. And they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I, your God, and I am your God, declares the Lord. So there's peace and security, no longer being afraid, no longer hunger, no longer insulted, 
And finally, and you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are my people. And I, your God, declares, I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. So this is the hope that God's people held on to as they waited in darkness for the Lord to reveal his chosen one. And that chosen one came as the man Jesus, proving himself in word and in action to be that good shepherd. And he will come again to usher in the fullness of this beautiful promise of Ezekiel 34. I hope like me, you'll reflect on this shepherd reference differently going forward. Jesus was with his people fulfilling what was promised about God's chosen one and doing so in a way that was intimate and meaningful to those who chose to follow him. And we have that opportunity today as we celebrate that this Jesus is still with us. He reigns as king, and he is still in the process of gathering his sheep from every nation. So I'd love to take communion with you now, if you'd like to locate your juice and bread. And I'll take us back to John 6. And it says, after distributing the bread and fish, John tells us a bit more about this miracle. That the five loaves of bread that Jesus began with remained in the end. There were five loaves of bread with 12 baskets after uh, it had been distributed. Yet everyone, yet it says that everyone ate and was fully satisfied. This was like bread that one can eat and not go hungry, which we celebrate today as we take communion. And also in John 6, there's a reflection on this same idea, and it's funny to me how it's phrased, but I hope that deep down we all believe this. And it says in uh, 633 and 634, um, the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the people there said to him, and I love this, sir, give us this bread all the time. (laughs) They're hungry for this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry. Just as the people experienced from the bread, from the good shepherd, personally feeding them on the mountainside. Take and eat this bread of life and know that it is Jesus with us, providing this bread that will never deplete and will always satisfy you. Take and eat. And please also take the juice, which represents our Savior's blood poured out for us all, opening a way for us from a different flock to become the children of God. So now let's worship together as one flock under one very good shepherd.